I know that song. Isn't that Hungry Like George Wolf? <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, but we are counting down the five best horror films from the Duran Duran decade. This is the Fright Club podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf. We're from madwolf.com. Yeah, we're back at the uh, countdowns. We took a, a little break last week for a good reason. Uh, we talked all about the great new horror film, It Follows, and all the other horror films we're looking forward to. And I'll tell you what, we got some great response, so thank you for that. Most I mean, of it positive, which is a nice change of pace, because these decades <laughs> countdowns, we're getting some complaints of yeah, what we've left. But most of it positive. I think everybody loves. Everybody loves It Follows. They seem to. For good um, reason. I, s- I do want to point out, though, uh, on Twitter, at ChaseTX, and then on Facebook, Bridget Oliver, they both pointed, they both liked, liked the podcast, they both loved the movie, but they both pointed out something that is, is really true that we didn't talk about, which is that the movie has a great, super creepy soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And we talked Very about that movie sounding. for like 20 minutes and I know, never mentioned didn't get it. To that. <laughs> but that, from the comments, that is really resonating with yeah. a lot of people, the soundtrack. And I can see why. So, mm-hmm. so bad on us. Uh, apologies for not bringing that up because that is a, a major part to not only that movie, but a lot of movies. The soundtrack can detract or add yeah. to the, the atmosphere, the feeling, especially a horror film yeah. kind of dread, of foreboding. And that soundtrack actually does. But yeah, everywhere I look, I mean, it follows. Is just getting Huge. great buzz. It's just so exciting to have, uh, you know, uh, for horror movie fans, for yeah. a horror film to come out that's that's also actually a really, really good film. And, you know, you get a comment now and then because we're, uh, our movie reviews are, are carried in various uh, places all over the country. And I did notice, I forget the state where it was. Was it Virginia, maybe? I saw some comments from our review and some people were saying, uh don't waste your time. You're going to get that. You know? oh, well, I mean, okay, some, fine. Yeah, I mean, nothing is everybody's cup of tea. Right. Every time something, especially something like this, when it's so popular, you're going to have somebody yeah. who wants to go, no, it's not such a much. And yeah. that's fine. But, but uh, by, by far and away, there seems to be real positive, positive feedback to this film. So, yeah. so thank you for that. We had a lot of fun. If you haven't seen it, go see it. But we are back to the, to the countdown. Wait, real quick, though, I want to yeah. point out, because one of the other movies that we talked about that we were excited was coming up, um, I mentioned is called Samurai. It's a German film called The Samurai. And I just want to point out that... Um, my review for that film will show up on ScreenRelish.com here in the next week or two because it is being released at least in uh, England in the next couple of weeks. So okay. if you get a chance, pop on over to ScreenRelish.com and check out my review of The Samurai because it's just great. Yeah. Super weird, creepy, great. Loved it. And we, you know what else? We want to we thank ScreenRelish. They tweeted recently that Fright Club is the best horror podcast hands down. That was awful nice of them. And how much did we pay for that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate that. All the great uh, feedback we've gotten. We love doing this. So we're back. We're back to the countdown. Last time, two weeks ago, we did my favorite decade, the seventies. So now we're we've ditched the bell bottom uh, pants, <laughs> and uh, we are back to Hope's favorite. <laughs> now decade. we've got on our shoulder, shoulder pads, pads and big leg warmers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now we are into the eighties, and this is your your wheelhouse, no doubt. And there is a lot to choose from. Lots there of is. There is. There is. And I think that people might be surprised by what gets left off this. You were surprised. I was a little surprised. I was surprised. And we'll get to that. But, but yeah. Let's start with a fun one uh, at number five. My friend Jack was just here. Your dead friend, Jack. He told me that I will become a monster in two days. The supernatural. The power of darkness. It's all true. Please believe me. Believe what? That tomorrow night, beneath the full moon, I'll sprout hair and fangs and eat people? Are you all right now? I don't know. I'll let you know the next full moon. And everybody dies in it. It's very bloody. 
Yeah, from 1981, an American werewolf in London. Not only creepy, not only some great visuals, but fun. Yeah, and funny. Yeah, John Landis, and and um, one of my favorite things about this film, I saw this film. I mean, and long after it, it came out, and um, I'd already been very, very familiar with Michael Jackson's thriller by the time I saw this this movie. And I think like a lot of people, I mean, I had a crush on Michael Jackson for as long as I can remember. And this might be very telling about who I am as a human being. When I saw the, the video for Thriller, I realized as a small kid, I have a bigger crush on zombie Michael Jackson. <laughs> I remember thinking that, like, I like that one better. Um, which have probably, you worked this out in therapy? <laughs> probably because, too uh, much about me. <laughs> But it's very reminiscent, the uh, the effects, which at the time, I remember seeing it in the theater, and uh, uh, and the, the effects at the time were mind-blowing. Right. You're like, look at that, his hand is growing oh, yeah. right in front of his face, oh, yeah. and then his feet are growing, and then his snout, yeah. you know, and, and at the time, that was big Yeah, stuff. well, it won Rick Baker an Oscar. And, and rightly so. Yeah. Of course, today, it would all be CGI, and yeah. probably worse for it, yeah, unfortunately. Probably. But back but, then... You know, and even if the the effects don't stand up as well, you know, as they might, you know, here 30 plus years later. But John Landis is so it's such a sharp and and clever uh, use of his subversive sense of humor. I mean, yeah. it's, and, the, and again, the soundtracks for this, which is it's just all <laughs> yeah. popular songs. Yeah. Such a great Bad use. Rising, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Such a great use of songs throughout this movie. Yeah. Um, and and someday when you and I open a bar, it's going to be called The Slaughtered the Lamb. Slaughtered Lamb. Oh Enoof. Enoof. We say that all the time. All the time. Enoof. Enoof. When he's, um, he's telling uh, too much to the to the doctor who comes right. in that town's person is just yeah. screaming at him Enough. so you've got that and then like you said the subversive humor of all the mauled victims coming back oh yeah and just to trying to talk him into killing himself David to kill himself um all that you've but got- you know what there are some really scary moments in this yeah. film too when they're on the moors and you just hear that sound the first time you hear because it doesn't sound like your traditional werewolf noise right. or wolf noise it's like what the hell is that noise yeah. and then the first time you see the werewolf because he looks kind of like a bear like with a, a bear. wolf face i mean he's a, you know is it but i think I don't think I'm alone. It's the tube scene. Yeah. It's the scene in the tube yeah. that's just... The, Very it's good. Just, oh, my God, it's so Very great. Good. You know, the guy, the prim Brit, he gets off the tube, and he, he buys some mints from vending, and he's got <laughs> his satisfied mint face, and then he hears that noise, and I shall report this, and you're like, well, what are you going to exactly. report? Exactly. And then when he falls down on the escalator, and you get and the, you, the werewolf's the point body. of view, you get yeah. the werewolf's... Oh, my Very God. Cool. So creepy. And, of course, so, my, my second favorite line in the whole movie is, a naked American man just, just stole, stole my, my balloon. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's it's a lot of fun. Um, kind of a like a time capsule of the beginning of the decade. Yeah, um, and uh, submersive humor and great effects for the time. And, that's right. And, and, and see you next Wednesday. Yeah, see you next Wednesday. Nineteen eighty one, American Werewolf in London, at number five. All right, number four, one that we talked about a little bit last week because we're looking forward to the remake, but the original. From 1982. They're here. I don't know what I was over this house. I've never sensed anything like it. What's happening? Yeah, the original Poltergeist from 1982. And that, very much in the same vein, Effects that at the time were very cool. Right. Today, not so much. Right. But at the time, they were doing a lot with those types of types of effects. And and when we did talk about this last week, you made a good point: was that this may have been directed by Toby Hooper, but it has the Steven Spielberg stamp all over it. Well, one of the things I love about this is it, so it came. Poltergeist came out in 1982, as did E.T. 
And they are such weirdly similar films. They almost take place in the exact same, you know, uh, cul-de-sac neighborhood. You know, every house looks exactly like every other house. And really, in a sense, it's like, so these happy suburban families, uh, their lives are disrupted by... Uh, an otherworldly presence. Right. Only in nice. E.T., no one tears their face off. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it really uh, it really does, I think, mine a lot of Steven Spielberg area. Um, but Toby Hooper is in there, too. You know, he there's a lot of creepy weirdness yeah. going on in this movie. There's a lot of when the guy of, digs at his face in the mirror. Yeah, that was got me. Um, that That's creepy. And, uh, you know, when the the big demons come out. Yeah. When you see the big face come out. And- but, you know, I think it's not it's not just the visuals. Like you say, I think that the movie does two things really well. It mines um, sort of primal childhood fears, the yep. clown, yep. the big creepy tree, you know, thunderstorms, what's in the closet, things like that. But also on the adult level, as, and Joe Beth Williams is so good in this movie, the abject terror of being helpless while your child suffers. Mm-hmm. And the whole time when you can hear... Heather O'Rourke, you can yeah. hear her running and screaming and crying, and there's nothing her parents can do. Yeah. It's, it's a very uh, emotional and, and moving, I think, part of the film. Yep. And I think the, that they can balance both of those things, the things you were afraid of as a child and the things you are afraid of as an adult, in a really well-written, fun, interesting script with some laughs to yeah. it yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the clown, that clown. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I'm a little actually disappointed. The new clown looks... The clown has like a mean face, which to me is, is there's you're trying. You don't need to try hard to make a clown creepy. They're creepy. So, but yeah, like you, I'm looking forward to the remake as well. Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely one as as we talked about last week on our radar for for the remake. But uh, yeah, back to uh, 1982. That's number four on our 80s list. The original Poltergeist. And moving now in a completely different direction. This one may come out of left field for a well, lot you know, of people. Actually, um, <laughs> so just like with the other years, especially the 70s. It's hard to choose just five. It's oh, yeah. hard to yeah. choose just five. So there there are a lot of surprises, I think. And I think the number three film is going to be a surprise. But I think a bigger surprise maybe is what is not on this list. Right. Um, right. I know there was one you were yeah, Hellraiser. Hellraiser is one of my favorites. We've talked about this a little bit. You're not, you're not a fan, as I am. I liked it a lot for a lot of reasons. But you're right when you say that the 80s has so much to choose from because... As we also have talked about in the past, Halloween set off a avalanche of certain types of movies. Boogeyman that, type films. Boogeyman that went into the 80s. That became where you got these really iconic villains. Yeah. Yeah. You have the Michael Myers. You have the Jason mm-hmm. uh, Voorhees. Uh, you have Freddy. Right. And that just went all sequel after sequel after sequel. And, and, and that's the one. So Hellraiser did not make the list. And George was not super happy about that. And, <laughs> and he was surprised Nightmare on Elm Street did not make the list. Though I do love that movie. I love that movie. I, I think Freddy Krueger, especially in the first one, what a great, I mean, the whole concept, what a brilliant yeah. idea that is. And there are some really great visuals, like there when are. he's walking down the street. And like and, anytime Johnny Depp is on screen, <laughs> that's a great visual. <laughs> and raises his arms, his big arms up. Yeah, they get I, like super crazy. Yeah. Long and then that there's was just very yeah and and uh, God, Robert England was great he was so great in that um, I have to say though when I saw those and, and again there's enough of an age difference here that when I saw them I was a lot older than when you saw them especially for that time of life to me it just was a little dumb maybe as the age I was at the time they weren't they weren't getting me I I I thought they were just a little dumb well you know there's something I think about a lot of the ones that we have left off which is that they became iconic and people love them and they're fun but really. Under scrutiny, they're not great 
films. They right. were great ideas, and probably the execution wasn't as great as it was, most likely because of budget. So either they spent a lot of budget on uh, makeup or effects, and therefore they... Because basically what it comes down to in most of these films, the problem is that several of your main actors are not any good. Uh-huh. Uh, Nancy in, uh, you know, or, yeah. and, and then the screechy Kristen. I don't care for her in, yeah. in uh, Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Yeah. And, and she's in better a lot than Nancy, of them, come on. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's better than Nancy. She's <laughs> but better the than other Nancy. thing is, like Johnny Depp would date Nancy. <laughs> Stop it. The other thing is, they were just beaten to death by countless sequels that are so bad. Over and yeah. over and over again. Well, the, the Hellraiser sequels are all bad. There are a couple of, of Friday the 13th, excuse me, there are a couple of um, Nightmare on Elm Street sequels that aren't terrible. There are Most of them are quite bad. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, Friday the 13th. Now, Friday the 13th, the original, is not terrible. It's not a bad movie. It really isn't. Um, and they, it's got, it, they do some, I've seen every Friday the 13th film. Um, and I could map around the lake. It starts here, it goes here, <laughs> then it's here. I could tell you from 1 to 20. And well, there are 13 total. Um, and, and, which is crazy to say because I don't like them. But I can't, I'm compulsive. Yeah. Um, and I always think it's fun. Like, so my favorite, uh, uh, Crispin Glover is in, mm-hmm. is in one of them and does this really weird dance and what? dies. Him being I know, weird? What? Come on. Um, but, you know, none of those made this list because, it, you know, they beat a dead horse. Ooh. I mean, it wasn't even very live to begin with, yeah. really. Uh, yes. So it's a much less interesting, I think, set of films than the others. And, and then one of the ones... I really liked, but not nearly well enough to put on here, be Reanimator. I don't think you even care for Reanimator. Not really. But um, uh, And another one, Evil Dead, the original, uh, yeah, the I, original Evil Dead. I love, I love Evil Dead. I actually like this, the second one better. The second one is basically a retelling of the first one with more money, and, um, and Bruce Campbell doesn't have the unibrow anymore. Yeah. He's, he's a little pumped up, now, and it's funnier. I really enjoyed the remake just right. a couple of years ago of you know, Evil Dead. That's of, the one for me. A lot of uh, the diehard Evil Dead fans didn't like that, but I thought it was great. And I and I, uh, I think secretly one of the reasons that film was as good as it was is because Diablo Cody gave the script a last pass. I think you can read her all over that. And it makes it more clever, more yeah. funny, more biting, gives it more social relevance. But in it's bloody as hell. Yeah. And the performances are good, which, you so, know, you can't say everywhere. So while, while I certainly recognize the iconic nature of the original Evil Dead series in, in the horror genre, it's, it's, it's not for me. I will take the new one all day long. And I know, I'm sorry, I know, <laughs> I might be the, uh, in, in the minority <laughs> there. But, so that's no. a long-winded way of saying why... All those, none of those, that, made this none list. None of those made this list. As we go into one that uh, might surprise uh, at number three. You tell me you never killed anybody before. I ain't saying that. Open your eyes, Otis. Look at the world. It's either you or them. You know what I mean. If you didn't catch it, that is Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer, 1986. It is so vastly different. From, Chilling. It's, it's so different from anything that we just talked about that we didn't use. So different from everything else on this list. It is so unlike anything else made in the 80s. Yeah. It's so oh, raw yeah. and understated and and unsettling. And um, people really hated it when it came out because um, it doesn't take a side. And you keep waiting for it to. Yeah. You keep, we're like, I guess Michael Rooker, who plays, who brilliantly, chillingly plays Henry, you're like, I guess, because he's the point of view character for the most part. So you're sort of going, well, is this just going to 
am I sympathetic because they're going to explain why he's evil or, you know, everybody on screen is so messed up and wrong headed, but they don't give you a character who isn't. So you find yourself eventually sort of, what are you rooting for? Any, I mean, any one of these characters is horrible. And what they do is so that it's so awful. Their behavior is so awful and it's told in such a detached way that it's really, it's just a very, it's, it's hard to watch. Yeah. And it's a movie that, stays with you so much that if you saw it before, you know, Michael Rooker now, people know him from The Walking Dead. He had that role in Guardians of the Galaxy. But if you saw him in this, you will never, ever see his face in anything without going, oh, yeah, that's uh, Henry, uh, Portrait of a Serial Killer, even if you didn't know his name. Um, And it is. It's chilling because of the way it's detached, which mirrors the character, uh, because it's based on, it's basically the the telling, a docudrama, I guess, of Henry Lee Lucas, a real... Uh, awful uh, serial killer. And, and you know, um, when Heath Ledger played the Joker and he would retell a story of his face, how his face got yep. carved up, yep. he would retell it so that by the second time you told it, you realize, oh, he's lying. You know, it's like, he, I'm not, this isn't backstory. This is him manipulating the present. Yep. Uh, that's what happens in Henry Portrait for a Serial Killer. And for, it's the first time I'd ever seen that happen where you don't realize until halfway through that the narrative voice is not trustworthy. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, and he's a psychopath. So, of course, he is. It. And, and then, you know, it's like you, you come to just love Otis's sister, even though it's suggested. You've, you know what? She's not really right either. She's not so. really right either. And then you think for a second, maybe Henry is being gallant because it's well, that's one of the things I love about this is like these people will do anything. And yet there is some gray areas to a line you can't cross. If you cross this line, well, then you're a bad person to this bad person. I mean, the whole movie is so morally ambiguous and right. and gritty and grimy and, and unseemly. Even w- even in the scenes where nothing really bad happens, you feel like it's going to. You feel any dirty. Minute. Dirty, yeah, yeah, yeah you like, do. I, why am I shouldn't be seeing this? I exactly. shouldn't be witnessing this. Exactly. It's just so, so it's, effective. It is so, so effective. So if you haven't seen it, check that out. And it's totally different, as we've said, from anything on this list. And anything really in the 80s that was... Mining, no, I mean, mining it, yeah. for the horror audience. You might see little glimpses a little here and there of stuff from the 70s, but it really predicts more the movies, not even of the 90s, but the 2000s, of the early 2000s. The, yeah. um, it's, it's so good. Yeah, so good from 86. Henry, check that one out. And the top two, you might have guessed them. Uh, we've talked about them before, but at number two. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself, it wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? He can beat one of those things! Yeah, back to 1982. Boy, the early 80s had a lot lot on this list. Uh, The original version of the thing. Well, I guess not really, because the first movie was called The Thing from Outer Space. This was the original, though, The Thing, which was remade a few years ago, but John Carpenter in 82. It's another case of effects that today, okay, they're... Today they would do a CGI. But at the time, boy, the way that alien shape-shifted and came out of people's heads and and came out of people's stomachs, you know, and just Wow. And you know, and that those do stand up. I they, think that the effects in this film stand up better than they do in any of the other movies on this pretty list. Well, pretty they, well. They do stand up pretty well. And, and it, it mines the, first of all, the claustrophobia, because they're stuck. They're stuck in that uh, base, mm-hmm. that Arctic base. Mm-hmm. So you've got that. It's cold. You know, the elements are against them. And then 
they ha- they basically have nowhere to go and they don't know who's who. You know, anybody could be the alien yeah. or not. Who's human, who's yeah. not. They do a great job and with that. John Carpenter does it. As we've talked before, kind of not always on this podcast amongst ourselves, John Carpenter to us, sometimes a little overrated uh, in in some of the movies, sometimes not. And, right. But this one is really well done in a lot he of ways. He has said before that this is his best film, and I think that that is true. Um, and I think, and he's he's a master with camera work. The way he uses a camera is 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 always masterful, even if it's not a very good film. And I think this better than ever. He uses a wide shot when what he needs to let you know is the isolation of the frozen tundra, and then he crowds as many people and beards into this <laughs> tiny space. And when he wants to. You know, when he wants to really emphasize the claustrophobia and the contamination aspect of it, you know, yeah. it's yeah, this it's film is beard tastic. Yeah, it, it is. It certainly but it was is. cold there. Yeah, you know, it was cold. A, a, uh, and it's funny um, remembering Kurt Russell, of course, the star of this. Yeah. Just this week, I saw the new uh, Fast and Furious number seven, which you know what, better than I expected. But Kurt Russell <laughs> has a part in that, and that guy, he's he's aging all right. He he's, is. he's doing well. He is. He has a lot of fun with his part in um, in Furious Seven. But anyway. Uh, he's he's one of the bearded wonders yeah. in the uh, in the original thing, and yeah, it is really well done. I think you talk about John Carpenter. I think some of it comes out of the the fact that he you know he came up through that low budget yeah. movement, and he had to make do. He had to find those those ways to uh, not have a you know to be effective without. Uh, having the big budget, although he got it later for other well, films. Well, this movie ob- obviously has a bit of a budget, and it has a very talented cast of character yeah. actors. And that's, I think, a little different from some of his other films. You know, he'll, ha- I mean, obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis was a great talent, but she was not very well known at the right. time. So he just he stumbled across kind of a muse. But a lot of the other actors in some of his other films were were weak. Whereas in this film, not one. I mean, they're they're all of them really really good, very yeah. strong. Kurt Russell, who also did, of course, Escape from New York and, yeah. and you know, uh, other which work. Which is pretty good. I like that yeah, one. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, I mean, yeah, uh, we're not dissing John Carpenter. No. We, he's great. He's great. But, yeah, maybe not, not always. Not every film. Let's, no, yeah. The Fog is not one. No. <laughs> you're going to get slammed for that. The Fog has Come on, legions. You don't like it I don't like it. All yeah. right, don't just point Leprous at me. Leprous Pirates, really? It's bad, it's bad. Leprous Pirates? Come on. Okay. Anyway, but, um, enough. Not yeah, the fog. That's right. No. Um, but this is you're right. All the all the character actors, Keith David. Yes. Long, guys well, for great. Oh, Keith David is always great. Keith David always great. Um he's really the only reason to see that. What's it called? Men at work with Charlie Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody threw away a perfectly good white oh boy. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> he's, he's funny in that movie. Requiem anyway. from a dream. <gasps> oh yikes. Yikes. Anyway, yikes. Love if Keith you've David. seen it, you know why we're saying yes. yikes. But uh, yeah, it's a great cast of uh, of, of characters there all, all over the the tundra, and, and really a great mystery. You know, yeah, oh, like yeah. I I just I mean it's so so well written. You know, really drops the Cold War paranoia of the actual original and and replaces it with this yeah contamination fear that I just think he does so beautifully, especially with that he does it so well by creating that claustrophobia by with the isolation and then the small rooms and the, yeah. oh it's just it's a masterfully created film and cold makes you cold, cold yeah. to watch. Nineteen eighty two, the thing, and just a couple of words on the the remake a few years ago. It was okay. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is always good. She's always she's good. always good. I think the most interesting thing about it was, spoiler alert: it's enough time has passed. At the end, you find out it's a prequel. It's a prequel, yeah, not because a sequel, of the dog. I love you that. see the dog run away, in, and that's then the like, opening shot yeah, of the original. So, so good. That was cool. That it was, was well done. It was. So it's not it's not horrible, but uh, I'll take the I'll take the 1982 version. Which brings us, speaking of frozen cold tundras, to uh, number one from the 1980s, Mr. Grady. You were the caretaker here. <laughs> I recognize you. 
I saw your picture in the newspapers. You, uh, chopped your wife and daughter up into little bits. And then uh, you blew your brains out. I'm sorry to differ with you, sir. But you are the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. I should know, sir. I've always been here. It's The Shining. Pretty much a foregone conclusion, I would think. And that's right at the beginning of the decade. 1980, 1980, boom. Uh, You start with that. And still still holds up today for so many reasons. And, you know, interestingly, um, both The Shining and The Thing were uh, critical and theatrical bombs when they came out. And now they're crazy? Yeah. Now they're regarded quite well. The Shining is, is in the top 250 of the American Film Institute films of all time. Of course, well, it's, it benefits from the fact that it's a Stanley Kubrick film. And well, even if he wasn't as appreciated as he might have been in his time, you know, in retrospect, people are like, oh, my God. <laughs> the exact same thing happened to 2001. Yeah. When it came out, the crit- critics were like, what is this? And it takes a while mm. to to appreciate um, well, and plus on a he, different level. But. Kubrick made so many changes to the Stephen King book, and the Stephen King didn't like the film when it first came out either. And, of course, he has, reservedly so, legions of fans. And so a lot of people, it was a beloved book. They wanted to see a much more literal interpretation, and that's not what, that's not what Kubrick had in mind. And, in fact, another favorite a diversion for us is... The documentary about all of the theories about Kubrick yeah, and The Shining. It's amazing. And we've talked about this a little bit uh, before. It's called Room 237. And it's it's fascinating on so many levels. It's a movie about movies. Uh, it's also a movie about, uh, near, near and dear to our hearts, movie criticism, right. I guess. And yeah. how people uh, can, can um, take things from different movies that maybe aren't there. And just to give you a little taste... Here is is one of the theories that that a man has about what the real meaning of The Shining is. Uh, My interpretation of The Shining is that there's many levels to this film, and this deeper story has its uh, birth, I guess, uh, in the idea that uh, Stanley Kubrick was involved with faking the Apollo moon landings. Yeah, and that one, I'll tell you what, for me, in watching this movie, that was one that actually had more... To back it up than the others. Yeah, a little I, bit. I'm not I saying suppose. I believe no. it. I'm not. No. But at least he lays out a case where, okay, then you had a thing about the American, the plight of the American Indians. That's one. Yeah. And these people are so but invested in it. The, the thing is, Kubrick layers so many things, visually and orally, into this movie that you kind of can't help but think, what is that? Like, you know, for example, the patterns in the carpets are insane they, they are. are insane in every call in every room and then you know if you really if you look at them for any length of time they're all phallic all of them <laughs> like, what does that what does that mean exactly um i mean and just the sounds and and you know all the pictures on the wall i mean they're so this movie Speaking is so dense with an, imagery the isolation oh, the, yeah. the, the the whole atmosphere of isolation is inescapable yeah and going back to that scene uh that we had the clip from one of my favorite scenes for a lot of reasons and you got to give it up for the actor that plays uh, Delbert Grady. His name is Philip Stone. Kubrick regular. Kind of a Kubrick favorite. He was in uh, Barry Lyndon and a Clockwork, clock, Orange. Clockwork Orange. But he is great. I love that that scene, you can pinpoint 
almost the exact moment when the power, the, 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 um, who has the upper hand mm-hmm. changes. Yep. Because at first, Delbert is just the servant. Oh, I'll fix you up, sir. And then, whoops, they make a, a change, and boom, he's in control. Yeah. And, and Nicholson is backing down yeah. and, and wondering what to do. And, and I love that whole, that whole scene. And uh, it's just kind of typical of the way Kubrick films everything. I mean, he's famous for a thousand takes. Right. You know. Uh, but uh, that one, it, and he uses the pulled back camera. You see the the expansiveness of the entire bathroom. Mm-hmm. No one else is in no. it. It's part of that entire atmosphere that you get throughout the hotel. Yeah, that uh, he wants to give you. There's nobody else here, mm-hmm. and it's just one of the many many moments that make that so effective. And, and of course, Nicholson is great. Oh, he's and so you great. You know, and 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 I think people can uh, sort of understate that because he's just being Jack Nicholson, which is the case in a lot of his films. Yeah. But but really, if you look closely at the performance, there's um, a contempt that's just under the surface of his sort of seemingly pleasant family. Mm-hmm. Experience. Even from the beginning. Yeah, from the very beginning. Yeah. And all it just takes a little bit for it to bubble out to the top and just become mania. Yep. Um, and then, and it's funny, you know, the, the film wasn't well regarded when it came out. Um, Shelley Duvall was nominated for a Razzie for her performance. Um, and I actually think that it was all very intentional because um, she's so horrible looking and, and she's so long. But it's not just that she's so incredibly long and thin, but every scene is set to elongate her. Mm-hmm. And she's got these gangly arms and she keeps her hands up by her face. And, you know, her hair is like long and in oh, her yeah. face. She looks like Joey Ramone in this movie, <laughs> but she kind of looks like death. Yep. She looks like death. Um, and and I, I definitely think that it is. By design. It's effective. Yeah. It, it, it creeps you out. Especially when you realize who the director is. That's right. not a mistake. No, Those things aren't is. a mistake. But There's I no think way. part of what that does, it generates tension for the little boy because you're like, I don't think she has the wherewithal to save this little boy. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, oh, yeah. It's it's one of the everything things. about this movie is just so great. There's, it's so great. It is, and that's one of the reasons why The Simpsons does such a great. Yeah, send-up. we can't know, help ourselves. We can't help ourselves. It's so great, just for this reason and many more. What do you think, Marge? All I need is a title. I was thinking along the lines of no TV and no beer make Homer something something. Go crazy? Don't mind if I do! Stay away from me, Homer! Give me the bat, Marge! Give me the bat! Give me the bat! Come on! Give me the bat! Give me the bat! I mean, the shinning. It's it's from their Treehouse of Horror. I don't know which version, but one of the single greatest things we've ever seen on television. Maybe the greatest. It's (laughs) such a great parody adaptation. So well done. Um, If you haven't seen it, please... Please see it. Well, we love The Simpsons anyway, but wow, did they did they uh, hit just it on nail that. it? Oh, just, so perfect. Yeah, we could so just we probably perfect. have the thing memorized from, from start <laughs> to back. But that whole give me the bat is <laughs> is just so great. Uh, but but that that going back shows you the cultural uh, effect that that movie mm-hmm. still has today. People can can uh, call on that. You s- even see it, and it'll give you the same. I think a lot of the same. Uh, Effects. It really hasn't lost much with age. It, it, it's so so well. Oh done. no, I agree. I think it's just brilliant. So number one from the 1980s, The Shining from 1980. All right, let us have it. <laughs> That's right. You know, um, we're ready for it. We try <laughs> to defend ourselves about why certain films weren't in there, and uh, we let slip that we don't like the fog. So 
if you want to let us have it, please do. We love talking about this. You can keep the conversation going on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And we've been getting some great comments, so please keep that coming. Plus, uh, if you want to, you can hit us on the uh, Golden Spiral Media feedback line. That's at 304-837-2278. Do that as well. And, you know, let us know what what we left off. We probably have a good idea, but maybe there's something out there, some golden little, some little nugget that we missed yeah. along the way. We'd yeah. love to know about Yeah, we would. And you know what? Uh, while you're, you know, while you're getting in touch, let us know. Obviously, next week, we're going to do the top five of the 90s. So if you've got a pick, if you got something that you want to lobby for, let us know. Um, and speaking of the 90s, if you get a chance, uh, I do a Skeletons in the Closet blog once a month for, for uh, ScreenRelish.com. And this month, it's a gem from the 90s. It's a... Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's first feature film, Critters, Critters 3. You may have seen that there's a picture out that it pops up on online a lot of times of him as a little boy posing with the monster yeah, and yeah. just smiling as like the monster's like eating his hand or something. So, oh, it's uh, funny because he looks like he's about 10. He does. And, you know, in the film, I think he's playing somebody who's maybe 12 or 13. He's actually 17 in that movie. <laughs> oh, man. I know. It's crazy. Uh, but, yeah, he's adorable. Those and, are fun. Those skeletons in the closet, those are fun. Yeah. You, you, everybody, almost anyone who's anyone has made a bad horror movie yep. way back in yep. there. And in they're there. the most fun they're to watch. They're the most fun. So <laughs> a lot coming up. We love to get your uh, feedback on it as well. So uh, until then, I am George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club podcast. Until next week. Stay frightful, my friends.